Musical Man, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week, we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week, we'll be discussing Swinging on a Star... I apologize. I... Oh, I completely nodded off. Oh, that's so unprofessional. Patty, I apologize. Oh, goodness. Oh, I was listening to the clip and I fell asleep. Oh, that's embarrassing. That's never happened to me before. Oh, I need another sip of 5678 Orange Grove. Patty, please indulge me. If you could just edit this out, the slurping. Thank you very much. Oh, again, I am sorry. Very unprofessional. Hello, how are you doing? That is what you were supposed to hear coming out of the clip. Oh, I, I, what a, what a, what a misstep on my part. I, I hope you're doing well despite this unorthodox, unprofessional introduction. I am going to stop beating myself up for the sake of moving forward. Oh, goodness, I do feel a little bit more awake now with that coffee in my system. Patty, how are you? You look fantastic as always. You know, Patty, we were talking before we sat down for this recording, and we were talking about a new musical that's in development, Patty. Yes, we we, we posted about this on our Twitter page. The musical is called Swept Away, not to be confused with the Madonna film. No one remembers all that well, and if you do remember it... <laughs> Maybe you don't remember it fondly, maybe you do. We all have different opinions on the Madonna film, Swept Away, that small group of people who actually saw that film. No, this is a jukebox musical of sorts. It is an original story implementing the catalog of the Avid Brothers. Patty, we are, Patty and I, we are fascinated by the plot description that was posted on Playbill earlier this week. Uh, the, here's, here's that plot description, by the way. So the show is called Swept Away, and the official plot synopsis is, quote, When a violent storm sinks their whaling ship, the four surviving souls, a young man in search of adventure, his older brother who has sworn to protect him, a captain at the end of a long career at sea, and a worldly first mate who has fallen from grace. Each face a reckoning. How far will I go to stay alive? And can I live with the consequences? I know that this is going to seem silly, but we are serious when we ask this question. You and I both had the same question on our minds when we read this, right, Patty? Yes. We just want to know, are there gay themes? Does anyone kiss? If anyone kisses, uh, you know, we're not encouraging the brother characters to kiss. We're not shipping the brothers. Uh, But we would like to know. We would like to have that spoiled for us because if there aren't any gay themes, we're in agreement. We're we're not going to go see that show. We're not. We're, We're No, no, no. No interest in seeing a bunch of purely 
heterosexual men at sea. No, no, I, give me something. Uh, you know what? I, I would like to see the worldly first mate who has fallen from grace. I would like him to find love with, you know, the captain who is at the end of his long career at sea. Come on, put the two together. And by put the two together, I mean make them kiss, make them kiss, mega them kiss. Come on, mega them kiss. Oh, we can only hope for the best, right? Fingers crossed for some gay man-on-man smooching. Oh. Patty, we are here to discuss a show that really did a number on me. It's called Swinging on a Star. We know that, but what we don't know are all of the other show facts. So without further ado, let's slide right into the show facts section of the show. Swinging on a Star... It's a musical review featuring the songs of Johnny Burke, the lyricist Johnny Burke, who found success throughout the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. He wrote lyrics alongside a number of composers, producing songs for the Guy Lombardo Orchestra, Fats Waller, and Nat King Cole, as well as bands led by Ben Pollock, Paul Whiteman, and Ozzie Nelson. Burke signed a contract with the Paramount Studio in 1939 and wrote lyrics for 41 films, 25 of which starred Bing Crosby. The song, Swingin' on a Star, which Burke wrote with Jimmy Van Heusen and was featured in the Bing Crosby film Going My Way, earned him an Academy Award for Best Song in 1944. His last Hollywood credit was for the film The Vagabond King in 1956. He died from a heart attack eight years later at the age of 55 and was ultimately included, inducted, I should say, into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in, well, I wrote down... 2,970. That's incorrect. Normally, I don't call out my very obvious note-taking errors, but no, he is not scheduled to be inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in the year 2970. He was inducted in 1970, and just because I'm completely out of my mind, I just made that correction in my Google Doc. It now reads 1970. Calm down, brain. Stop boiling. Calm down, brain. We gotta move forward. (laughs) The show's swinging on a star was a 1996 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. The show opened on Broadway on October 22nd, 1995 at the Music Box Theater and ran for 96 performances, so not not a great run, no, I would say. The book was written by Michael Leeds, who also acted as the show's director. The music is credited to Johnny Burke, Joe Bushkin, Errol Garner, Robert Haggard, Arthur Johnston, James Monaco, Harold Spina, and and, of course, Jimmy Van Heusen. Uh, all of the lyrics credited to who else but Johnny Burke. The musical director of the show was Barry Levitt. The choreographer was Kathleen Marshall. The set design was by James Yeomans. Lighting designed by Richard Nelson. Costume designed by Judy Deering. And the original Broadway cast included Michael McGrath, Teresa Burrell, Louis Cleal, Denise Fay, Eugene Fleming, Kathy Fitzgerald, and Alvalita Guess. And when I say it included them, that is it. That's the entire cast from top to bottom. That's the entire list. In terms of Tony nominations, it was only nominated for Best Musical. No other nominations, uh, no considerations for technical aspects or the performances that were featured in the show. So you might ask, why even bother nominating the fucking show if you didn't think anything about it was good enough to nominate in other categories? That's a big old question I have. And so, yeah, to review, one nomination is 
zero wins. Womp womp. When it comes to the plot as it is, I did transcribe the cast album's liner notes, and I posted them on the show's Wikipedia page, but that was quickly deleted. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. So for today's purposes, I'm going to provide quick summaries of the show's seven segments. Uh, You Trust me, you'll appreciate the fact that I'm not reading the liner notes to you out loud because, oh boy, do they go on and on, and do they communicate almost nothing. The first segment is referred to officially as Speakeasy because it's set in a fucking speakeasy, go figure. There are two characters named Mame and Sir Reginald, respectively. They arrive at a Chicago speakeasy in the 1920s. It's revealed that Mame used to perform at the speakeasy. She goes backstage with a dancer named Bill to greet her old friends. And one of the speakeasy's dancing girls, Jeannie, she turns out to be Sir Reginald's old flame. And hey, as it turns out, she might still have a soft spot for him. That's it. The end. We move right on to the next segment. Later, I'll discuss how swinging on a star really could have benefited. It could have stood uh, to embrace a linear book structure rather than that of a Follies-style segmented review. But for now, I'll just say that Speakeasy seems like the best candidate for expansion into a linear book, a full two-act structure book. A Speakeasy isn't a bad setting for a musical, and the romantic entanglements could provide a heart around which wackier period antics could orbit. You know, gangsters, crooked politicians, doors opening and closing in classic farcical fashion. I'm not saying Speakeasy would make for an especially original night of musical theater, but practically speaking, I think it could sustain a two-act evening at the theater, and I don't think that can be said of the show's other segments, which are much, 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 much more lightly sketched. Uh, Let's talk about those other segments, shall we? The second segment is known simply as Depression. It's set during the Great Depression, if you couldn't put that together, one and one make two, you know. Uh, So this opens with a homeless man finding a ragged umbrella. He opens it up and a penny falls out of it, and that inspires him to sing the song Pennies from Heaven. Homeless people appear and make some sort of noise or ruckus, which causes an exhausted mother to step out of a tenement housing building so she can chastise the homeless people and sing about her rambunctious child in what is easily the lowest of the low points in this show. Then at the end of the segment, three suitors appear looking for a woman named Annie, only to be told she no longer lives in the neighborhood. You with me on this? Because that's the end of that segment. Number three is known as Radio Show, a radio program called The Whoopsie Hour, yuck, celebrates Johnny Burke, they name him, they're celebrating Johnny Burke with a group known as The Burkettes, double yuck. A movie star named Vicky Voyer shows up late to the broadcast uh, and causes some form of disruption. Hey, hey, wake up. Yeah, you, on the other end of, yeah, through your earphones, your head buds, your butt butts. I'm talking to you, wake up, okay? I I know, I fell asleep too, but we're in this together, right? High school musical, we're all in this together. Segment number four, pay attention, it's called a USO show. Uh, at the beginning of this, an MC whips the crowd of soldiers into a frenzy, a hormonal frenzy, by bringing on Miss North Dakota, Miss South Carolina, and Miss Reinhold, Rheingold, I don't know, who cares? And they all sing a little ditty. They are then followed 
followed by a blues singer whose performance impresses a soldier named Eddie. Uh, she impresses Eddie with her vocal stylings. I, I don't know why I should care about Eddie being impressed. The MC and the blues singer ask Eddie to tell the crowd about the girl he has back home, and he sings about that. And at the end of the segment, this is the end of Act 1, by the way, everyone sings Swinging on a Star, making sure to make it clear to the audience that it just won Johnny Burke an Academy Award. So are you following? Did you hear what I just said? Repeat what I just said. S- say it. Repeat what I just said. That's right. It won Johnny Burke an Academy Award. Okay. Just want to make sure you're staying alert. Segment five, hotel ballroom. A coat check girl and a waiter prepare the ballroom for a grand party while flirting with one another. Ooh, I see you. Ooh, I see you too. <laughs> The night's hired singer reads her copy of Peyton Place and eventually sings a song. This is the information I pulled from the liner notes, by the way. This is what is being realized on stage. A woman walks on stage and sits down so she can read her copy of Peyton Place. Uh, And during her vocal performance, uh, the coat check girl and the waiter fantasize about dancing with one another. There is another character who is referred to only as the woman alone. She's waiting for her date to show up. He never shows up. And this woman alone warns the coat check girl of the perils of romance. And the girl and the waiter just wind up together anyway. They do dance at the end of the segment. So uh, wake up. Wake the fuck up. How dare you? I No, no, no. I can tell that you're drifting. You're focusing on other things. I need you to focus on this show that I listened to and researched this week, okay? Just help me out here a little bit. Number six of seven is called Road 2. This is just a straight-up Cliff Notes recreation slash homage of a Bing Crosby Bob Hope movie called Road to Morocco. Uh, Put simply, Bing and Bob save Dorothy L'Amour from the vile clutches of the uh, Sikh of Pakistan. There's a camel on stage and an appearance from quote-unquote native women. And I swear to Christ, if you nod off one more time, you're going to get the chair. I'm going to run 70,000 gigawatts of electricity through your body. Pay attention. The final segment is known as Starlight Supper Club. The cast appears atop a New York City skyscraper. Uh, They're decked out in suits and evening gowns, and I have no idea what they're doing up there because all they do is just sing a bunch of fucking Johnny Burke songs. Oh, back to back to back to back to back. Per the album's liner notes, the finale, quote, finds the cast literally swinging on stars as Johnny Burke's smiling face lights up the moon behind them in the twinkling skyline. If the image of Johnny Burke as the man in the moon doesn't keep you up for hours tonight, nothing will. His big, stupid face just staring down at you from the fucking celestial heavens. Hi, hey, it's me, Johnny Burke. I'm famous. I wrote all the songs you heard tonight. Mm, did you have a good time? And, and in case you, uh, in case you think I was exaggerating, there is a photo in the liner notes of the cast on big dopey swings that are attached to really chintzy outlined stars. Oh, it's just so bad. Whatever you, whatever you're picturing, imagine it's just. This is 1995. We're talking about it is chintzy as fucking fuck. It pains me to consider how much work a cast would have to put into these segments to get them an inch off the ground, memorizing a truckload of intricate harmonies, rushing through countless costume changes, trying to make a meal out of these 2D characterizations that go absolutely nowhere. The list of chores goes on and on, but why 
bother? Why bother being in a show like this? The team behind the show doesn't care about its cast. They didn't gift them with anything that's remotely playable. I refuse, I refuse to believe anyone was genuinely interested in crafting an homage to the classy Folly-style review of yesteryear. I think no one wanted to put in the time required to write a proper book, and so they cynically relied on these vignettes to carry them across the fucking finish line. The whole enterprise reeks of sloth on a creative level, though it still results in the cast breaking their backs to try and make it work, and that is just shameful. Ugh. A book that presents a single linear narrative and incorporates some of Johnny Burke's songs, not 28 of them as we get here with this show, more like a clean dozen. I'm picturing, you know, pick the best 12 and maybe work with that, for God's sake. Uh, that could have very easily been written. I don't think that... Uh, they, they, they slacked off and they fell asleep at the wheel but I don't think it would have taken a lot of work to write, you know, that linear book that I'm picturing in my wildest dreams. And it would have given audiences the opportunity to stay focused on and invest in a set of characters who are dealing with defined stakes, you know, theater. Instead, we get the Broadway equivalent of channel surfing, and I reject it out of hand. Uh, if you're not willing to craft a proper story, maybe cut your cast a break and have them on the top of that New York City skyscraper for the entirety of the show and get rid of everything else. Give them one outfit each. Give them some cursory dialogue about how, I don't know, they're putting on a concert for the mayor or something and call it a day. You know what? No, it's not the mayor. They're putting on a concert for Johnny Burke himself. The whole thing takes place in heaven. Everyone's a fucking angel. The show runs 90 minutes with no intermission. There, I just radically improved your show. You're welcome. For the purposes of researching this show, I listened to the 1995 original Broadway cast album. Now, this album is not available online via iTunes or Spotify, so I actually had to buy a used copy of the album through Amazon. Your monthly Patreon donations made that purchase possible, so thank you very much again to those who donate each and every month. I have provided a Dropbox link via our Twitter page so you can listen to the cast album, though I wouldn't recommend it. I also watched... Oh, goodness, a very depressing Tony's clip that is led by Nathan Lane. Uh, he reports at the top of this YouTube video that both Swingin' on a Star and another nominee that year, Chronicle of a Death Foretold, had already closed before the ceremony was, you know, was filmed and broadcast. He then throws to a clip package that in no way communicates what Chronicle of a Death Foretold could possibly be about. I think I'm going to be really screwed with that because because I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no cast album, so I don't know how I'm going to research that show, but that's for the future. Once that clip package ends and is met largely with indifference from the audience, Nathan Lane then throws to the cast of Star, and he does it in this very snide, sarcastic way. I think he sets them up by saying, essentially, our last show that's nominated this year answers the burning, scintillating question, and he throws to the cast, which goes into, what do you like to swing on a star? They sing for less than 90 seconds. They have nothing. I don't think anyone was interested in giving them more time. I'm sure they, they said, look, it's fine if you want to perform. You've already closed, so you're getting 90 fucking seconds. So burn through that swinging on a star performance because that's all we're fucking getting.
given you. Their set is so dinky and trashy looking. It's these two crummy spray paint gold staircases, these really low to the ground staircases, and those are sitting just under the show's logo, just a really giant, cheap looking logo from the show. And while the performers do their best while grinning like maniacs through this soapy, dumb material, they can't escape the fact that this is cruise ship pablum down to its very fucking bone marrow the audience is unmoved when they they you know the cast strikes a pose and the applause that the audience gives them is fucking uh, mandatory at best no enthusiasm it's so depressing it made me realize all over again and i'm sure this isn't the last i know it's not the first time but it's not the last time i'll say this being an actor is fucking hard and sometimes you wind up in garbage like this and sure you're on broadway but at what cost at what cost i ask oh well, I suppose we should talk about the songs, shouldn't we? Well, here's a general note right up top. There is so much, so much robotic 90s keyboard in the DNA of this score, and it makes me cringe. It made me cringe each and every time I heard it. Why? Why would you choose to filter music from the first half of the 20th century? This, you know, this old school, presumably, supposedly classy music. Why are you filtering it through the lens of a PC computer game about fractions? Get that keyboard out of here is what I have to say. Now, there are 38 tracks on the original cast album. Clearly, I'm not going to put you or myself through a deconstruction of every fucking Johnny Burke song that they hack into this thing. So I'm just going to give you the really broad highlights. The one song I'm going to talk about from the Speakeasy segment is Dr. Rhythm. He'll fix your face with a smile that makes you free. One treatment, he'll assure you, life is just a dance. I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but man alive, do I not like hearing tap dancing on a cast album. The Walker, you know, the silly, goofy Walker dance number from the producers, I found that to be funny, uh, but actual, genuine tap dancing, it's such a chore to listen to. It's just so boring. Albums already have enough difficulty recreating the vibe of a live theatrical experience, and it's so distancing to hear tap on an audio recording. Don't make me listen to Clickety Clacks for 40 seconds, because we all know it's not the same. It's not the same as seeing you know, those incredibly talented dancers right in front of your fucking face, or even on video, you know, hoofing their asses off. You could be faking it for all I know. There's probably a setting on that stupid Casio keyboard of yours that's called tap. And all, for all I know, all you have to do is hit two notes on your keyboard. I know what's going on. That's robot stuff. I don't buy it. Cut it out. A long time ago A million years B.C. The best things in life were absolutely free. But no one appreciated a sky that was always blue. And no one congratulated a moon that was always new. So it was planned that they would vanish now and then And you 
must pay before you get them back again. That's what storms were made for, and you shouldn't be afraid for every time it rains, it rains pennies from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains pennies from heaven? From Heaven is a song that I cited during our very brief plot description. Uh, Pennies from Heaven is sung by the homeless man character in the Depression segment. Louis Khalil is, you know, very light here, very measured, very clean and professional. And the result of that is that the song just comes off as very easygoing, very breezy and confident and pretty. It just, it has a very pretty quality to it. Now just really hold this little chunk of positivity with you. Keep it really close to you because I'm about to talk about that low point in the show, the point where the the woman comes out and talks about how her baby is so rambunctious. That song is called His Rocking Horse Ran Away, and here's some of that for you. Thank goodness the darling's asleep. He's a wonderful boy, and a joy, and a boon. But oh, you should have seen him this afternoon. Bang went the bridge lamp down, went the table crash, went the china tray. But he really couldn't help it. His rocking horse ran away. Rip, rip went the curtain wham, went the window crunch, went the new buffet. And I heard him tell his daddy, the worst song in the show. It is embarrassing. It's embarrassing to listen to, and I have to assume that if you are the person performing it on stage, this is fucking nonsense. Those goofy sound effects. Bang went the lamp, down went the table, crash went the tray, rip, rip went the curtain, bang went the window, clang went a bell, ree, went a whistle, bang went the pants, slam went a door, on that eventful day, what is rocking No, no one, no one will ever find this funny. Even people who love Johnny Burke, this is their least favorite Johnny Burke song. That has to be true. No one likes his rocking horse ran away. Oh, and then he said, Cuckoo, my rocking horse ran away. Cuckoo. And then he smashed the china buffet. And then he ripped my fucking face off and he made me eat my own fucking face. Oh, I'm a ghost now without a face. Fuck off. The worst. I was so mortified listening to this. Ah, never make anyone do this. Once upon a time, there was a boy who went to school. He never learned his lesson and he seemed an awful fool. He never learned addition or the way to multiply. But by peculiar methods, he would manage to get by. How? We'll never know. I got an apple for the teacher. That seems the thing to do. Because I want to learn about romance from you. 
a little apple for the teacher to show I'm meek and mild. If you insist on saying that, I'm just a problem child. An apple for the teacher is from the radio show segment. This is a rock-solid example of a song that would take so much work to rehearse. I mean, listen to those fucking harmonies. But for what reason? For what point or purpose? This would have no payoff with the audience. This music... Oh, man, this music, this old-school malt shop pop, it's simply not meant to be performed in a theatrical context. And that's what a lot of these old-fashioned reviews, that's the mistake that they all make. They assume that we can take these old songs and put them within a story, and it's still going to have the same impact as, you know, listening to it on the radio. But it's, it's just not. It's melodically static, and the lyrics cannot command our attention the way that theater is supposed to command our attention because the lyrics are intentionally fluffy. It's not the song's fault. It's the creators of the show's fault for trying to put it into some sort of fucking narrative that's supposed to keep us focused. It's ridiculous. The song asks us to tune out. It begs us to tune out. So feel free, cast of Swinging on a Star, to rehearse those harmonies for four, five, six weeks straight because all it's going to net are seniors act actively snoring in your face and who could blame them I ask you soldier was leaning next to a tree he's sad sad as can be he lost a love he hated to lose you see there's always the blues. Ooh, Nero was fiddling out on his porch. He said he carries a torch. Nothing excites him, nothing is news, you see. There's always the blues. During the USO show, one of the cast members, Alvalita Guess, she appears as this blues singer and she sings the song, There's Always the Blues. And if this isn't an example of a big black lady stops the show, I don't know what is. And I know that I've used the, if this isn't an example of device twice now. I've used the device twice. Get off my fucking ass. Uh, it's just so obvious what they're doing. They're exploiting the fact that they have this woman in their cast. She has this big, big voice, and they're utilizing it right here. She's playing a blues singer, of course. It's just so stock, and it's so cliched. Alvalita gives it all she's got, and she's got a lot to give. Again, I'm not I'm not trying to disparage the performer herself, but her, ta- her talents are wasted here. She doesn't even get to portray a real blues singer. The name of the blues singer that they just create out of whole cloth is Lena George. She's fictitious. It's ultimately made up, and oh, it's just ridiculous. Now I'm going to play you something that's really haunting and scary. Um, It's a track known as USO Show Dialogue, and um, it's as if it's being performed by mannequins that came to life and are trying to approximate how we would talk in a normal human-to-human conversation. Uh, Without any further ado, here is that track in its entirety. Say, what's your name, soldier? Eddie, sir. Well, where are you from, Eddie? Uh, Indiana, sir. You got a girl back in the States, Eddie? Yes, ma'am, sure do. Do you love her? Yes, ma'am, sure do. (laughs) How'd you meet her? Aw, you don't want to hear about that. Sure Sure do. If you were listening to this while staying overnight at a haunted house, 
It wouldn't make it any creepier. It breaks the glass ceiling of creepy and it chills me. It chills me. Aw, you don't want to hear about that. Sure Sure do. do. Aw, shucks. You don't want to hear about that. Sure Sure do. do. You don't want to hear about that. Sure Sure do. do. Just playing on a loop when I wind up in hell. When I wind up in hell, it's inevitable. I know I'm going to hell and that's going to be the soundtrack in my room, baby. You don't want to hear about that. Sure Sure do. do. It's one of those nights for adventure We are to be recklessly gay Who knows what we'll find So if you're inclined Don't let that moon get away These moments don't happen so often It doesn't seem right to delay If you feel it too Whatever you do Don't let that moon get away and don't let this mean I'm not a fan of the arrangement that we get for Don't Let That Moon Get Away. Now, obviously, I've never heard the original version of Don't Let That Moon Get Away, so I'm not really playing a game of comparisons. You can hear the 90s glaze that's sort of lacquered all over this. Uh, but I do like Eugene Fleming. I like the vocal performance. If you can sort of divorce it from the machine-like sound of the arrangement, his voice evokes a cozy, swank club environment I would like to step into. He's walking this nice line between uh, a dreamy performance style and pushing me straight into dreamland, which I appreciate. He's sleepy without putting me to sleep, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, This song, this very slow, languid ballad, is followed by two just nearly identical ballads called Imagination and It Could Happen to You. It's a mistake that absolutely kills the pace of the show. And it's not the first, it's not the last time, I should say, that the show makes this heinous mistake. They double down on this decision later during the second act finale, but we'll get to that. So, for the purposes of discussing the Road 2 segment, the homage to Road to Morocco, I do want to play another dialogue track. This is known as Road 2 Dialogue, and it's here that we're going to get Louis Cleal and Michael McGrath's impressions of Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. So let's Patty, let's hear that. Help, help! Looks like a damsel in distress. Distress or that dress, she'd look good in anything. Hey, she brought reinforcements. Out of my way, boy. I saw them first. And you'll get them last. This picture isn't big enough for both of us. I'll miss you. So obnoxious, right? So just indulgent and stupid. It's like watching your dad's put on a sketch in the fucking backyard during the 4th of July. No fucking thanks. Dad, no one wants to hear your Bing Crosby impression. And other dad, no one wants to hear your Bob Hope impression. Sit down and have a fifth hot dog, for God's sake. I I doubt... Anyone can make this nostalgic garbage work, but they're doing an especially poor job, I think, here. McGrath's pinched, weaselly impression of Hope is what is particularly bad to me. I really can't deal with how eh, screechy and bad it is. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me. This road leads to a rainbow Going my way Just pack a basket for 
musicians. And then during this song, Going My Way, we hear Cleo's Bing Crosby morphing into what I think is Mandy Patinkin. It's Utterly confounding and flabbergasting. The Going My Way song, dreadful. I mean, not nearly as bad as his Rocking Horse Ran Away, whatever the fuck that song was called, but no one should have to watch. No one. (laughs) No one wants to watch some white guy pretend to be Bing Crosby, and if you can find me anyone that does, just keep them very far away from me, if you please. Thank you very much. By the time the Starlight Supper Club segment came around, well, I never wanted to hear a Johnny Burke song again, but I especially didn't want to hear a Johnny Burke ballad ever again, because in this segment, there are four in a row, but beautiful, like someone in love, Moonlight Becomes You, and If Love Ain't There, It Ain't There. I mean, by the end of this medley, bring me a Red Bull and slap me in the face, because I'm dying over here. You know what? It's not a medley. A medley would be one track that, you know, mashes all of these songs together. No, that's not what they do. We get a full, like, three minutes. We sit. Oh, how we sit with each vocalist during each and every one of those four fucking ballads. Then we then we get to, thankfully, Alvalita Guest shows up again, and she performs a song called Sunday, Monday, or Always. Hey! So once again, Alvalita Guess is tasked with saving the show by belting her brains out. We're, we're once again just exploiting the fact that she's the only one with real power behind her voice. And they think that's going to save the show. I mean, I appreciate it, Alvalita, but you can't save us. You can't save me or anyone else here. So please, I beg you, leave us, Alvalita Guess. Get out of here while you still can and save yourself. And then, then, the audacity, the fucking shocking egotism, the the assumption that we would want to hear two more ballads. Two more ballads. We had four. Then we had Sunday, Monday, or Always, which at least, you know, is has power behind it. It might wake us up. And then they put us back to sleep with two more ballads called Misty and Here's That Rainy Day. Seven ballads total. Are you fucking kidding me? I am going to count Sunday, Monday, or Always as another ballad. So really, this is just... Uh, it's just a never-ending train ride through fucking slumberland. What sins have I committed to be fucking listening to this nonsense, I thought to myself. Well, God, deliver me, God. So that's essentially my very mean-spirited deconstruction of the songs that are throughout this album. You know, Johnny Burke's name keeps coming up throughout the album. People will say things like, you know, here's a little song by that wish kid, Johnny Buck. Here's something. How about that new Johnny Buck? Did you hear about this Johnny Buck song that just won an Academy Award? Here's something. There's 
is exactly one instance where the name of a composer is dropped, that being Jimmy Van Heusen during the USO Show segment. But beyond that, no composers are mentioned on stage within the context of the book. It's as if Burke wrote lyrics for music that just conjured itself out of fucking thin air like a goddamn genie made it. Burke is a genius, we get it. Burke is a god among men, we get it, blah, blah, blah. But you know what, Mr. Burke? I've listened to all fucking 28 songs that are on this CD, and I don't like your music. I dislike your music. It's old, you're old, and it stinks. And you stink too, because you've been a big old box of skeletons for about 70,000 years. Get on out of here. Get on, get! Now that I'm done screaming like an impotent dum-dum, I'm going to hand it over. I'm going to hand it over to our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Okay, now let's see. How does this thing work? Okay, beep, boop, bop, boop, beep, boop. Bop, boop, beep, 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 boop, bop, boop, beep, ring, 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 ring. Oh, yes. Hello, is this Mr. Collins? Hello, Corny. Hello, how are you? This is Edna Turnblad. I'm interested in talking to my daughter, Tracy. Can you put her on the line? Oh, thank you, Corny. You're a dream boat. Tracy, is that you? Hello, this is your mother calling. You know, your mother, the woman who, you know, provides for you on a daily basis. Hello, yes. You know, it's funny. I'm sitting here. You're having fun. You're having fun at the Corny Collins show, and here I am in my nightgown staring at a pantry. I'm staring at a pantry, and you know what's not there, Tracy? You know what's not there? My 5678 Orange Grove coffee. Now, I understand that you went to the store yesterday, and yet here I am looking at the pantry, and there's no 5678 coffee. Tracy, I love you. You're my daughter, but I need you to get it together. It's the little things that get your mother through the day. Little things like oxygen and 5678 Orange Grove. How am I going to do all of my ironing if I don't have that citrus zest in the morning? It's a breakfast coffee. It's delicious. And no, you can't have any of it because children shouldn't have coffee. Now, I love you. You're my daughter. You're the best thing that I've ever made. And I want you to get me that coffee. Number one priority right now. Coffee. Goodbye, little sweetie. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, I am enjoying the phone that makes sounds that sound just like me. It goes beep, boop, boop, and it goes ring, 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 ring. It even looks like my face. I love it. Okay, bye, Tracy. Oh, have a good show. Bye. Don't forget the coffee. Five, six, seven, eight. You can count on it. <laughs> Final thoughts regarding Swinging on a Star. You know, I've done summer dinner theater. I was in two productions of a little show, a very little, tiny, tiny show, called the 1940s Radio Hour. I did that show twice which is arguably, that show is arguably just as monotonous as today's subject. So as someone who has dipped into the world of octogenarian nostalgia bait, I feel safe in assuming every regional theater has already done a production of Swingin' on a Star, and thus we never have to stage it again. My word is law. In 1996, Rent took home the Tony Award for Best Musical, and the other nominees that year were Bring Into Noise, Bring Into Funk, and of course, Chronicle of a 
death foretold. As a reminder, both Star and Chronicle, which ran for 37 performances, Chronicle ran for 37, had already closed by the time the Tony Awards were held in 1996. And I believe this is true. The only other Broadway musical from that season was a show called Victor Victoria, which was based on a film of the same name. Uh, Both projects starred Julie Andrews. The show, the stage version, ran for 734 performances, and yet it still couldn't manage to earn a nomination that year. Andrews was nominated for Best Performance by a Leading Actress, but she declined the nomination and a chance to perform during the telecast, choosing to, quote, stand instead with the egregiously overlooked cast and crew. Good for you, Julie. That's class. But yeah, not exactly the kind of press you'd want for what was the Tony's 50th annual ceremony. But in case it wasn't obvious from the start, uh, yes, Rent should have won that year. And no, Swinging on a Star. Swinging on a Star shouldn't have even been fucking nominated. Swap that out with Victor Victoria, for God's sake. It's Julie Andrews, and it ran for nearly 800 performances. Give me a fucking break with this. Now we come to the moment in the show where I am supposed to rank Swinging on a Star in comparison to all of the other shows we've discussed. I'm going to put it, not at the bottom, but I am going to put it just above Avenue Q. Now, why? Why is it better than Avenue Q? Because it seems like I was quite angry, right, during this entire discussion of Swinging on a Star? Well, I think it's better than Avenue Q because at the very least, it's not excusing racism with a fucking hand wave. It's not your cousin telling you to shut the fuck up and calling you a cuck at Thanksgiving. And that's kind of how I see Avenue Q. It's been, yeah, it's been a full week or whatever, but I still feel that way. So, uh, Swinging on a Star, you're at number 13. Uh, Avenue Q, you're still at the bottom. You're at number 14. Sorry about that. But hey, Big River, you're you're going up even higher. Look at you, Big River. Wow, who would have thought? If you want to see the current ranking, you can go to our Twitter profile, Musical Man Pod, and click through the pinned tweet to our Google Sheet. There is a tab that provides the current ranking and a Carolina change. I don't think you're going to be going anywhere anytime soon. You're at number one. Uh, but if you want to see where all the other shows are, you want to click through that pinned tweet to that Google Sheet. Thank you very much. I don't have any show-related ephemera this this week, unfortunately, so we're going to skip right ahead to the musical carousel. That's right. To determine which show we discussed next, we'll need to take a ride on that there musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein show. Get off my fucking lawn, you dum-dum. I didn't come up with anything beforehand. Get off my lawn, you fucking dum-dum. Really, really great fake show title for me this week. ay 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 Everyone ready to take a ride on the musical carousel? Alrighty. Then away we go. Let's go. Alright, I have stepped off of the musical carousel, and I am going to determine where we are right now. Let's see, what show have we landed on? Let's see, let's see. Ah, oh, goodness, a big one. This is a big old show. This is going to be a, oh, this is a big meaty sandwich of a show. It is a nominee for, of course, the Tony Award for Best Musical, of course. The nominee uh, is from the year 1991. It ran for 4,092 performances. Have you guessed what it is? That's right. The show is Miss Saigon. Yes, Miss Saigon. I'm going to be talking about you next week. Thank you very much. 
for listening to this show. If you would like to donate to the show monthly, you can do that. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. If you choose to donate a dollar a month, you will get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Let's do that now. Thank you very much. Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. If you donate $3 a month, you get a special musical shout-out in the style of a composer or character that you choose. You dictate that. If you donate $5 a month, you get to determine which show I discuss on the podcast. That's a one-time incentive. And you can also get access via that Patreon page, again, patreon.com slash musicalmanpod, to a weekly series known as All I Ask of You, which is hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. It's an advice show dedicated to the concerns of the villains, quote-unquote, of the world of musical theater. And if you donate $10 a month, you get access to monthly bonus episodes in a special full-length series. Those episodes are full-length, I should say, and the series is known as The Snub Club. It's dedicated to Broadway musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and we strive to answer the question, should they have been nominated? This month's subject is Flahooli. That's going to be coming out on the final Wednesday of this month, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, Donations go towards cast recordings. Uh, As I mentioned, I bought the used album uh, for this week's subject via the money uh, with the help of your support. So thank you very much for that. Money also goes towards movie rentals, offsetting Podbean costs, and if we ever get to the point where the total amount of donations is over $100, that will result in me producing a new series known as The Movie Musical Man. I've never mentioned this before, but I think the title of that series would be stylized as M3. Isn't that fun? Three M's, M3, you get what I'm saying. And that would be dedicated to movie musicals we wouldn't normally encounter in the regular feed. If you're listening through iTunes, thank you very much for downloading each and every week. Hey, here's something you can do that's free that supports the show. Go into the iTunes store and write a five-star review. Let me know how much you love the show, what you love about the show. Thank you very much in advance. If you're streaming, it's either through musicalmanpod.podbean.com or Stitcher. Spotify does seem to be a no-go moving forward. I do apologize to those who enjoyed listening through Spotify, uh, but Stitcher and Podbean still very good streaming options. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Email me about anything you want, anything you like, and I'll talk about it here on the episode. I do say, on the show, I should say. Thank you very much to Alex Green for our beautiful logo and to Zach Little for our beautiful underscore music. And there it is. Ha ha. I knew it was coming and it didn't scare me. I'm a big boy now. Ha ha. I'm a big boy now and I'm not scared. I'm a big boy now with my big boy pants. I'm a big boy now and I didn't shit him. You know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well. We'll catch up some other time specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long. Farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. Say, what's your name, soldier? Eddie, sir. Well, where are you from, Eddie? Indiana, sir. You got a girl back in the States, Eddie? Yes, ma'am. Sure do. Do you love her? Yes, ma'am. Sure do. (laughs) How'd you meet her? Aw, you don't want to hear about that. Sure Sure do. do.